the Irish Times Inside Business podcast in association with Davy. It's amazing what you discover when you really listen. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. I'm delighted to say we have a new sponsor on board from this week with Davy Group, one of the country's leading wealth management and advisory firms signing up for the next three years. We're delighted to have them on board. Now, the COVID-19 pandemic has brought house building to a standstill, with very few properties being transacted during the lockdown. So how will this affect house building for the year as a whole? And what will it mean for Irish house prices? Joining me on the line from his home in Mayo is Mark Fitzgerald, Chairman of Sherry Fitzgerald, the country's largest estate agency. Now, Mark Fitzgerald, uh, you're very welcome back to Inside Business. We had you on about uh, three years ago when the world was a slightly different place. And you were talking then about the possibility of the Irish housing crisis being solved within two or three years if there was some radical thinking at political level. Uh, and yet here we are now dealing with a, a crisis, a, a recession of a, a completely different colour. Um, tell us a little bit about how it's affecting Sherry Fitzgerald and how it's affecting the property market in general. Yeah, I suppose back in three years ago, I was hoping we would have turned the corner and be making significant progress. And sadly, that hasn't happened. And now we've got the pandemic crisis. So, uh, And obviously... Strategically, that I suppose Kieran is going to set back housing production, uh, you know, which is a grave disappointment on top of the, the horrendous human tragedy that the crisis is. I suppose in terms of the terms of Sherry Fitzgerald, well, we had invested a lot in technology in recent years, so no less than the Irish Times, we moved to a, a virtual platform on the kind of the weekend of the the fifteenth of March. Um, and uh, we're, we've all been working remotely and we've done that in fairness to our IT people without any great hiccups. So uh, we've, we're working around it and the public are, are adapting to it. And, you know, visits to our website are significantly up. Um, we're, we're doing a lot of virtual viewings with our agents. So we've probably had about 12, 1300 houses, different houses shown virtually with agents since then, you know, 16, 1700 parties. And the interesting thing, people, you know, you know, sadly, couples are separated, families are separated, and we're able to show houses. You know, maybe somebody is is living in Berlin, and the other other partner is living in Balancholic, and we're able to um, show them something they may be able to come and live together in the future, which is nice. So there will be enduring change out of all this, but uh, it's not without its challenges. But we're we're doing fine, and our people are together and working hard. And like a lot of companies, and like a lot of Ireland, there's a great sense of solidarity. Yeah, just contextualise for us, how many houses did Cherry Fitz sell last year? I think, uh, you know, we sell about about 8,000 houses a year, Kieran, new, new and second-hand. So nationally, you know, that's out of, we've got 96 different offices. So, you know, one of the, one of the problems we have at the moment in, in, in the economic crash, we had too much supply and not enough demand. Now we still have excess demand over the supply, so... I mean, one thing that, that probably concerns us, the challenges, and we, when we go back, when the doors open up again, when they do, we simply won't have enough houses for sale. So um, from, from our commercial point of view, you know, that's probably a business challenge. So what's your expectation? I'm sure, I'm sure you've done some scenario planning around this. So what's your expectation for, for this year? Obviously, the first two months, presumably, we're, we're as normal. Um, we're going along nicely, I'm sure. Um, but then the pandemic hit and, and we've had the lockdown. So what's your expectation for this year as to how many houses you Maybe I've explained what's happened. What's happened is we obviously had, quite, you know, we, it was pretty busy and we quite a lot of houses sold or agreed. 
And obviously some of those houses fell through. Why did they fall through? Well, sentiment changes. People you know, lost their jobs who were buying. But what we found is virtually all those houses, we've, 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 we've re-agreed and agreed more. So, uh, you know, we're finding there's still, still the demand in terms of projections for the future, I suppose. We were hoping, to, I suppose, to build whatever, 22, 25,000 houses this year in the country. I think the central bank are talking about 16,000. We'd be more pessimistic this year in terms of new builds. I think it would be 14 or 15,000. So, um, you know, it's difficult It's difficult to unravel. We're looking at different scenarios at the moment. I suppose what we're focusing on is retaining employment and retaining, providing the service. And, uh, you know, because we're we're a business that, you know, is, is not heavily borrowed to, to try and, right away through the storm and see, see see what see what we can do and keep the market operating um at, at the moment i wouldn't like to call exactly many houses we sell this year because it's, it's, it's at this moment i'd say it's just pure conjecture the main thing is to have the resources to get through it so in terms of getting through it and in terms of opening up the economy again and we're hearing we're expecting to hear from the government at the end of this week as to what measures and they might relax for the lockdown uh, once next Tuesday comes, once we're past the bank holiday weekend. From your point of view, what would you like to see happen to get the housing property market going again? Well, I suppose we, we've come from a point of view. I mean, I've been doing this job for 45 years. I've been involved with Sherry Fitzgerald for 38 years. So, I mean, you know, I kind of tend to look at the medium to the long term. Obviously, I'd like them to, from the point of view of the economy and the well-being of people, is to get the economy functioning for reasons of mental health, for stimulus for people's security for people's um, uh, ability to socially interact sooner they get it but i wouldn't like to see them putting putting the health particularly of our older people at risk so i think what we're seeing in the front page of your paper today the gradual opening is 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 the way to go and uh, the one thing i suppose we are discovering out of this is that expertise is incredibly important and we've been very fortunate with the the sort of uh, health expertise that has led the nation with the political and administrative support behind it and one of the things I would like to see out of all this is the kind of the, the value of expertise has probably been lacking in the housing market, not being fully harnessed for reasons of history, which I understand by the political and public sector systems. I would like to see health, housing expertise being harnessed for the public good uh, coming out of all of this at the end of at the end of this period. What do I think in terms of opening? I would imagine, you know, in terms of viewing houses. Uh, and apartments or what have you. I imagine sometime in the summer, whether it's June or July, there'll be some sort of um, some sort of gradual, you know, our offices may not open, but we may be back to showing properties. Now, I think the country, the government will be keen to do that because there's obviously empty Airbnb apartments, for instance, which they'll want to see left. So they want viewings to start to happen. They'll have to obviously have to be a protocol put in place in terms of safety. And just, I mean, obviously construction, um is one of those uh, industries that's currently shut down at the minute. There is a hope that they will be allowed to reopen at least gradually um, when the restrictions are being lifted, but they're going to have to implement some social distancing. So that's going to hit, you would imagine it's going to hit productivity, isn't it? And it's going to perhaps uh, impact on costs as well. Well, you know, we probably lose about 10,000, 10,000, 10,000 houses this year in terms of reduction. So, you know, I would have hoped that in the last five years in the country, we built about 70,000 homes and my my hope was that in the five years of this current government, we build one hundred and fifty thousand homes. Now I think you know you have to readjust your sites down to one hundred and forty thousand. So I do think it's essential that the that the new government actually sets an ambitious target, despite this, for the next between now and twenty twenty four, to actually 
say what, what the country has to build because unless we stretch, we're not going to do it. And we've, but once again, we've got to make up for lost ground because we probably have lost eight or 10,000 units. Well, who's going to buy these houses, Mark? Because more than half a million people at present are claiming the wage subsidy. Um, we know from reports that banks are saying now anybody who's been on the wage subsidy scheme or the companies in the wage subsidy scheme, they're going to have to uh, prove the viability of that of that business before they'll give them a loan. Um, lots of other people obviously have been un- made unemployed and a lot of those jobs just aren't going to come back, certainly not in the short to medium term. Um, they're talking about an unemployment rate of 30%, uh, in, give or take, at the minute. And Danny McCoy of IBEC was on this uh, podcast saying, well, if we got to the end of the year with an unemployment rate, of 10 to 12 percent, we'd be doing well. It'd be a heck of an achievement. But I mean, 10 to 12 percent is still a hell of a hell of an unemployment rate. So who's going to buy these houses? How are they going to afford them? I agree. I mean, I agree. I mean, the unemployment is just harrowing for people. But having said that, the the, the pandemic crisis payments, or a lot of them going to young people, are reasonably generous at the moment, which is good to see. So a lot of people are saving here, and they may feel like they're saving because what they're actually doing is not spending. So when they come out of this, they're going to have money, and the question is what they're going to do with it. Um, there's also, you know, so so quite a lot of the people have secure jobs and they'll probably find, well, my apartment is too small or my house is too big or I live in a city and I don't like apartment living, I want to live in the country. So people, I think, will get on with their lives and some people will make changes they probably hadn't envisaged making at, at the end of this process. Um, at the moment, we, you know, we have on our My Sherry Fits, we have over 15,000 buyers and we're not losing buyers. So we're not losing demand. People are saying, well, you know, you know, I, I look at it online I may, and we are selling properties through online viewings. Uh, you know, and obviously people are quite, some people are quite conservative. They actually understand that many want to see the property. Um, but, you know, they're, they're, the buyers aren't disappearing. The other thing I think we're finding in this is that the Irish diaspora have never felt closer, uh, you know, to our and I have a daughter, myself in Melbourne. So I, I know what the feeling is like. So people do want to come home. They feel closer to their families. They have great admiration for the way the Irish people have rallied. There is great contrast of how other countries have not handled the situation, how well we've handled as a people. Uh, there is, a, at the moment, there's admiration for the job that the government has done. Uh, and the people say, well, that's a, a country I'd like to make my life in. And if, you know, if houses are going to be more affordable and production is going to go up, maybe it's something I could come back to. So we do have the, a locked out generation in terms of affordability in our cities, we've got to tackle that. But we've also got to make sure our housing market can welcome our diaspora back because by and large, they want to be homeowners. They won't want to come back and rent. Yeah, of course, the flip side of that, I, I think about one in six of the population is a foreign national. So um, you could argue that a lot of those people uh, might might fancy going home to their countries uh, in Europe or America or, or elsewhere. And these are people who are working for Google and Facebook and Twitter and, and multinational companies. Yeah, obviously, obviously they they they... Some of them have gone home and understandably so for the moment. But I think they'll come back. People like uh, people like the the Irish welcome. They like the working in Ireland. And you know we probably underestimated in the economic crash how many people found Ireland and Dublin, our cities, a nice place to come and make a live, make a make a life. You know it's a multicultural society now. So I think people will return here, not just the diaspora, but people who've who've gone. Some of them won't come back, but others will come. So I think we. I don't think we. I don't think we're going to have a problem with demand. Our problem is going to f- fundamentally going to be focused focus on how we supply it. Now, obviously, there's short-term challenges, like what our business is facing. Uh, but uh, in, the, in the medium term, I think you need to look to the future. I mean, one of the things I think we're lacking in this country is, is, is what I call a horizon scanning function, which I don't think the government has. 
which actually looks to the future and looks to trend lines. So, for instance, you know, My Home, which is obviously which is owned by the Irish Times, there's a lot of data, for instance, on My Home and Daft at the moment that would look at trend lines of what people are doing. So I know on our own website, the Sherry Fitz website, you know, visitors in the second half of April, we have a 27% increase in visitors from the UK and a 12% increase in visitors in the US. Now, I think probably that is quite diaspora linked, but, uh, you know, obviously My Home and Daft would have a... Uh, big sites in terms of visit visits and the, you know, the, the government needs to be looking at trend lines and changes and what the enduring change out of all this is you know will people you know there's obviously a big push uh, for apartment living and I think people like Ronan Lyons are right we need to densify our cities but we need to dens- maybe densify our cities in a different way and we need to recognize that maybe some people won't like won't want to continue living in cities after what's actually happened and already you know nearly a third of our population live in towns outside towns and villages so it's all going to be interesting how all this pans out with remote working. At Davy, we know uncharted territory can be a challenge. We've been in business since 1926, and since then, we've advised many different clients through many global and national crises. Some will seek comfort in the safe and familiar, while others will embrace the opportunity to try something new. Throughout the years, we've not only listened to our clients, we've got to know you personally helping us advise you on a financial life plan that suits you best. Davy, it's not just business, it's personal. Janie Davy, trading as Davy, is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. We take our responsibilities personally. Isn't the big issue going to be going forward, at least in the short term? Funding is going to be a huge issue. Funding for people to be able to buy a house, those who need a mortgage, uh, because surely it's going to become tougher for a, a large cohort of people, I mean a very large cohort of people, to get that funding. And secondly, funding financing for developers um, to actually uh, finish out these sites. Um, that, that isn't a given uh, anymore, is it? I, don't, I think the funding issues at the moment in the short term are really physical ones of getting access to properties and getting contracts signed. And I think there are wrinkles that are being, as we speak, are probably being overcome. I, but I, I do think when you think about the unemployment, go back to what you were talking about earlier, Kieran, if, if, um, if, you know, if, if unemployment settles at 10 or 12%, which is still too high, that means that you know, 90% of the people will be, will, will be at work. And what, what, how will those 90%, what will, their, what will their financial position be at the end of this? You know, if, if they've got a moratorium on their mortgage, if their health insurance has got a rebate, uh, if they've uh, you know, taken a car off the road and not paid car insurance, if they have saved on crash fees, they'll actually be better off. And they may say, well, I'll go for more space. So, uh, you know, we, we, we comp- my, this is my whole point about the horizon scanning function of government. We completely underestimate it in, uh, back in 2011 and 2012 what the future would look like. You know, you know the, the 2011 census, once that was published, nobody really in, in officialdom was really looking at the, at the, at the uh, housing demand that would come. They were actually focused on the fact that maybe a perception of the banks weren't lending mortgages. That wasn't the issue. The issue is we're going to have a housing shortage. And I think the housing shortage here is probably going to... The housing demand and the housing shortage is actually going to grow rather than diminish because of this. And what about the way people live? You mentioned um, cities there, for example, but a lot of people might be put off commuting now because of social distancing. And this might be a feature of our lives for a long, long time to come. And this idea of getting on a packed train from Drada and and coming into Dublin, for example, or, you know, whatever commute you might have, unless you're in the safety of your own car, you mightn't feel too comfortable. Even if you're going from somewhere like Dundrum and a packed Lewis into the city centre, you mightn't feel great about that. So how do you think it's going to change the way people view commuting and the way they want to live? Oh, I think there's going to be a radical change, you know, a seismic change. It's like the introduction of 
of the motor car. So I think remote working will 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 become very much part of it. So people with with responsibilities up to the mid mid March with high power jobs and high responsibility jobs in Dublin will be working from Cork or Galway or from or from or from Tullamore or wherever, and they come to their office maybe once a fortnight. Um, and Zoom calls, which we're on at the moment, will become become the norm. So we're, we're a country well set up for that because everything is fairly close at hand. We have a good road network. We always need to invest a lot in in, in, in our rail network and our commuter rail network. But I think, uh, you know, the fact that a third of our population already lives outside, um, lives outside our, our main cities and towns is an advantage. I mean, while our, our towns and villages may, may be struggling physically, that they have nothing of the sense of desolation that you get in, in sort of um, industrial England, which has been long since forgotten. You know, the sense of community is alive in, in Ireland, in regional Ireland. Uh, it's just, it needs more economic activity. And this may give regional Ireland a huge boost we weren't probably imagining and actually help, help some, of our, some, some of our challenges in terms of people commuting, lost time, quality of life, and in terms of the environment and all that. So it's actually, it's actually fascinating what's going to happen. But I think Ireland, because we're close, everything's close at hand and no, no city and no part of Ireland is too far apart. And our, our, our technology is good and our people have an abundance of ideas and creativity. I think it will actually bring a new dynamic to Ireland in the next five to 10 years. A lot of talk, obviously, in the past uh, couple of years, Mark, about rural broadband and the need to invest in that. I, I think you're remote working from Mayo at the minute. Uh, how's your broadband holding up? Yeah, it's holding up pretty well. Now we're with a company called Westnet, and it's excellent. So yeah, we're, it's actually remarkably good. So it, it doesn't really it, whether I was living and working out of my house in Rat Mines or working at my house in Mayo, it's really no different. It's, it's been it's been fantastic. Uh, so obviously, you know, I'd be supportive of what the government are doing. You know, I, I think you can look at these things in cost benefit analysis, but the sort of societal change that can bring, you can't you can't quantify that. Uh, uh, in in a pure cost benefit analysis, so I actually think it's it's the right thing to do. It might be expensive, but it's the way to go. And certainly, the pandemic crisis has made the rural broadband project all the more important. Yeah, just tell us a little bit about um, the the staff and how they've been impacted at Cherry Fitz by the pandemic. I, I presume everybody's working remotely, although maybe some people are are still working uh, in, in your offices. Um, I, th- I think you've put them on a, a four day week. Am I right? Yeah, nobody's working in our offices. Yeah, we took we took. Uh, we led from the front and took costs, took costs, you know, reduced costs, kept everybody employed. Uh, you know, we're grateful for the government support. You know, our staff for four day weeks, those people are leading the company, reduced our salaries by 50%. And that's the way as it should be, um, you know, to protect the company and uh, uh, to show solidarity with our, with our colleagues. And in terms of house prices, what's your, what's your expectation for house prices, let's say this year and next? I think this year they may slip, slip back a little and the next year they'll probably go up a bit. So it'll be even, Stephen, I would think. Okay. We're finding prices, the deals we're doing, we're agreeing. Some, some have been agreed marginally less, some have been agreed marginally more, some have been agreed at the same, re-agreed at the same price. But fundamentally, you know, if, if somebody has the money, the house generally is affordable. Our problem is high rents, not necessarily high house prices. You know, that's our real challenge is, is, is affordability of rents. For, 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 for a lockdown generation and then their, their inability to become homeowners if they, if they, if they so wish. Yeah, sure. Well, I suppose it comes back to the funding issue again. Um, I mean, a lot of this is going to depend on whether the banks, uh, continue to lend, whether they're happy to continue to lend. Um, 
And I guess a lot of that will be controlled by how long this pandemic goes on, how long the restrictions are in place. I mean, listen, there's been a great job done by the by the central bank in many ways and and, and by the banks, them, banks themselves. You know, there's, there's good progressive leadership in the main banks now and their balance sheets are in good state. So they're in a good shape to, you know, the work that people like Patrick Holm uh, set us on a set us on a pathway is standing to us now. And the work that the government did in terms of the finances, even though they didn't get much credit for it in a, in a recent election, is standing to us. So we've actually made, you know, we made an investment in a, in a future we didn't know was going to happen, but we're well equipped to deal with it, both in terms of the, the bank's balance sheets and in terms of the government's finances, which is good. Yeah, let's just talk about the government formation docs because they're underway between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. You obviously have a, a strong Fianna Gael background. Your, your father, Gareth Fitzgerald, was a former Taoiseach and Fianna Gael leader. You were a trustee of the party. You were uh, you're a former director of elections and so forth. Um, so you've a, you've a long history with uh, Fianna Gael. And I guess Fianna, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, um, you know, we probably never would have imagined previously that the two of them might go into government together, it seemed uh, it seems like something that would never happen, but um, we're on the cusp of now. What, how do you feel about that as a as a blue blood Fine Gael, as it were? Well, I don't know about the, the blue blood part. I mean, we're we're all Irish people, aren't we? Well, you know, I think uh, you know Fine Gael have, have done great things for the country as a Fianna Fáil. They've both had their shortcomings, like all large institutions, but by and large they've contributed to society. Uh, you know, despite the shortcomings and and. Uh, things that weren't done or not done properly. Um, that doesn't lead to any complacency. But I think, uh, you know, the country has moved more in a social democratic direction, which I would personally support. And I think Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil have both moved in, moved in that direction. They were moving in that direction anyway. So it's a bit like the 1960s where, where you know, Le Mas was probably moving Fianna Fáil in that direction. And people like uh, Declan Costa and Tom Higgins were doing the same. So really Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are back to where they were in the, in the early to mid-60s where you just society and free education. And I think that's aligned with where the, where the population is. So, you know, it's important that we have a progressive kind of social democratic background, but it's also important that we don't forget that if we, if we, if we get completely focused on wealth redistribution, we, you know, we, we lose the real objective. You've got to create wealth. So wealth creation is still very, very important. In terms of government formation, I think what I do welcome at Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, I think there'll be an injection of talent. I think People like Michal Martin and Michael McGrath are very bright people and very grounded, and I think that you know they will they will contribute to a government. So the government will be stronger in terms of competence. So I think one of the reasons people voted for change, they were actually voting for greater competence over all the wide range of government departments than we're probably seeing. You know, I think it was hard, particularly on the Taoiseach and um, the Minister of Finance and, and the Taoiseach Minister of Foreign Affairs, were actually you know I would think were outstanding and our outstanding uh, service of the nation, and that's been seen in this crisis. Um, but I think a, a government of more talent would be good. The opposition, obviously, are bright and smart, and, uh, you know, as long as it's not too attritional and they keep keep the government accountable, I think we'll have a pretty good a pretty good government. Um, as to who might be in the government, I think it's looking like the, possibly the Labour Party or maybe the Green Party, but equally, Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil could agree a programme that was progressive and social democratic, and. The other parties didn't buy into it. I think if they went back to the country in the in the autumn, they'd probably do a lot better than they did on the 6th of February. Yeah, obviously housing was a big issue in the last election, wasn't it? I mean, it seems like a million years ago, but it was actually only in February. Um, and, the, you know, the general view is that Fine Gael were punished for not having dealt with the housing uh, crisis in a more definitive way. And Sinn Féin obviously made a lot of hay on, on that issue in the election. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think I think what Simon Coveney made a lot of progress when he's in Minister of Housing in terms of the in terms of restructuring things, and probably you know the way it was lost a little bit after that, and 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 the public were were disaffected. It was it wasn't just the young people; it was their parents, it was their uncles, it was their aunts, it was all around the country. It seems quite extraordinary how people were locked out of being able to get affordable rents and make a life in their own country. And we such a history of immigration, people being forced out of Ireland uh, for something that should be a civil right, so that's understandable. But um, I think one thing we will get in the next government, we'll get a substantive minister of, you know, probably foreign intellect and a lot of influence who will be hopefully be able to, uh, you know, lead a, lead a sea change in Irish housing policy. And the key of that must be much more collaboration between the public and private sector. This is not about the state becoming more dominant in housing. It's about the state becoming more active in housing and working with the private sector. Now, the difficulty obviously is there's a, there's a, a difficult history between the private sector and public sector when it comes to housing in terms of tribunals and what have you. But, and, but if we keep looking backwards at our history, we need to remind ourselves is that history won't build any houses. So, you know, the public sector need to collaborate with the private sector. We, in my view, we need some class of collaborative task force that has priorities and timelines and has a, as a target to build those 140,000 homes over the next five years. And we need to work together to do that. And, you know, there will be conflicts of interest, but we need to find a way to handle those conflicts of interest in a way that's in the public interest. What about the climate change debate on housing? Um, it seems to have gone away a small bit because of the pandemic crisis, but no doubt it will reemerge. What kind of houses do we need to be building for the future? Well, I think we obviously, we, I mean, one of the problems with the climate change agenda is that it's obviously we have a housing stock of about 1.75 million houses and you know, the, the Green Party, understandably, want to, as to everybody else, want to see our existing housing stock retrofitted. Our difficulty, we have a skills shortage, we have a limited number of workers. So we have a choice. Do we, do we go and focus on retrofitting 500,000 existing houses or do we build 140,000 new aggregated houses? Now, I, if I have my vote, I'd be saying let's prioritise the building rather than the retrofitting. The retrofitting may have to wait slightly. I'm not sure the Greens will have the patience for that, but I think the priority is to increase more housing, not retrofit so much the housing we have. Given And obviously the idea if we could do both, but I don't know where we'll get the construction workers to do it. Um, in, terms of, in terms of the housing, obviously I think apartments are important. Roland Lyons makes that point. But I do think also people... You know, one, one size fits all, doesn't fit all housing around the country. I do think we need to look at two and three bedroom uh, houses again in Dublin in a highly dense configuration and look to cities like Cambridge in England and Norwich in England and Copenhagen uh, where we can actually get high density, but it doesn't necessarily have to be apartments. I mean, there is a fundamental problem about building apartments, just they're not viable and who's going to pay for them. How does this recession, um, short enough as it has been so far, I mean, we're only, you know, five weeks in or, or thereabouts. How does it differ for you from previous ones? Because your career spans more than 40 years. You've seen your fair share of uh, uh, ups and downs in the market over that period. It's a bit like a Gulf War with a lot more human tragedy and that would last longer, you know, when things come to a stop. It's, it's difficult to... I think the Gulf War was kind of from the summer of 89, 90, wasn't it? It was about six or, six or eight months. So... But things did stop, but it's a lot of human tragedy. So it reminds me slightly of the Northern Troubles um, where people were needlessly dying and the tragedy of that it was difficult to comprehend and it hung like a cloud over us. But um, obviously I haven't had the experience, you mentioned my father earlier, I haven't had the experience to live in a household where we were dealing, that, you know, dealing with those tragedies every day. One thing I do know is that uh, you know, society does get to a point where you can move on and recover 
So we will have a lot of healing to do, uh, a lot of recovery to do. But you know, I will be I will be an optimist. Of, you know, come the autumn, uh, I think we'll be back on our feet. And you know, I'm reading with interest. Um, they're making making progress in you know, the the creativity of of mankind is such that they're that they're making progress in the search for a vaccine. And I'm interested. One of the, the Oxford academic Adrian Hill was in was in when I was four or five or six years of age was in class with me for a while. So. See, he's leading leading the charge in Britain, looking for a vaccine. I wish him the best of luck. You're very positive, Mark, about the the medium term future for the country and the property market. I mean, Willie Walsh was saying yesterday, British Airways laying off twelve thousand workers potentially, and he was talking about it being several years before the air travel market would get back to where it was in two thousand and nineteen. Um, you know, a vaccine could be twelve to twenty four months away. We don't really know. And we're not even sure um, there could be a second, possibly a third wave of COVID. A lot of uncertainties uh, down the road, potentially. Yeah, maybe it's my age, Kieran. Maybe it's because I did live in the household I did. And we were, my father was dealing with the Northern Troubles as foreign minister, leader of the opposition in Taoiseach. So, you know, I, you know, having lived through a lot of those tragedies and seen adversity, you know, and, and seen the human spirit and seen, you know, people recover from it, it does give me some sort of, some sense of optimism and um, I'm also realistic you know I'm dealing with you know we've 300 people directly employed there's a lot of responsibility on our shoulders at the moment um, and uh, it is it is very very hard but you know we, we surprised ourselves coming out of the economic crisis didn't we you know if you if we went on a on a podcast or a radio program or a TV program and suge- suggested any degree of optimism in 2009-2010 you know you were regarded as deeply irresponsible so uh, I suppose I was wired that way. I was, you know, I am, I am optimistic by nature, but I'm not unrealistic that we will have our challenges, you know, um, and certainly air travel is, is, is it, you know, I think people will be traveling less the next year, 18 months, and I'm glad I'm not in the airline business, you know. Um, I would say there's a fair few headaches in that business. And again, the hospitality business, you know, I feel deeply for Irish tourism and uh, for people who have given their lives in the hospitality business to build businesses and to trying to rebuild those and, and the sense of, you know, where is their hope right now? But I think if we just manage to hold the nerve and the government's in a good position, we can borrow money very cheaply. Uh, consumers are, you know, a large cohort of consumers are actually saving money. We, we will together build a great Ireland again. There is a great country and we've seen how great it is during this crisis. And finally, Mark, would you have any words of advice for first-time buyers or somebody looking to buy in the market at the minute and probably wondering what they should do? Should they sit in their hands for now? They might be cash buyers. Should they sit in their hands for now? They might be people who are mortgage approved, worrying about whether that mortgage is actually going to come true or not, or whether a house is still going to be available on the market or whether houses will become available later in the year when they're perhaps able to press the button on a on a purchase. What, what would you say to them? I'm saying they should follow their instinct if they were on a course and they, their, their income is secure and they've got the mortgage approval and maybe they're living in rental accommodation or they're living with their parents or what have you and they want to get on with their lives. If they can't get on with their lives, they should get on with their lives. You know, you're, they're buying not for the short term, they're buying for the long term. And there's, there's, there's you know, for, for capital values, are, you know, if you, can, if you can get the mortgage, they're, they're reasonably affordable. I mean, people are paying more to rent the same house as, as they would on a mortgage. So why, why wouldn't they? 
Okay, we'll leave it there, Mark. Thank you for joining us all the way from Mayo. That's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks again to Mark Fitzgerald, uh, Chairman of Sherry Fitzgerald. Declan Conlon produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed each day on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care, stay home, and stay safe.